Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again today. And what a blessing we have to be able to open up God's Word and study it so freely and in such depth and in detail on this program every day. How blessed we are to have this freedom. How blessed we are to have this access to God's Word. The greatest book that has ever been written is the Bible. It is always the best seller in this country. Now that might surprise some people. We've talked about this before, but it still might be surprising to some people because we never see it listed on the best-selling list. It's simply because it always is, and the statistics gatherers, they just never mention it anymore. Maybe they figure it would be redundant. Maybe they figure that's something we just, we're tired of saying or listing, but it's always the bestseller. Always. Hands down. And yet, so many people have such little in-depth knowledge of what the Bible really teaches. Right. We try to resolve that on Search the Scriptures. We get deep into God's Word. We look at it in detail, and we try to explain it in a way that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your everyday life. And our prayer is that that is being effective for you as you study with us each day on Search the Scriptures. Our prayer is that you're growing in your knowledge of the Bible and that as you're growing in your knowledge, your faith is getting stronger. And that as your faith is getting stronger, you're coming closer to God. And our prayer is further that you're getting better prepared to make up your mind to give your life to God through Christ repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and God's Son and surrendering to Him in baptism for the remission of your sins. And then beginning to live that new life in Christ, that life wherein you have been reborn or into which you have been reborn spiritually and that life that now is leading you to eternity in heaven. Our prayers are with you. And our prayers are for you. Dwayne Kennedy, brother, great to be back with you today. It's great to be back with you, Gary. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening again today. You know, Gary, I was listening to you talk about the Bible. And you know, it is a great book and a great privilege. And I hope that we really appreciate what God has done for us in giving us his word I am certainly grateful to our listening audience for studying with us again, and I hope that you are growing in your appreciation for the Bible as we study through these various lessons, and that they will have the effect for which God gave us his word. That is, that you will give glory to him as we strive to do on this program, but that it will also transform you into the people that God has created us all to be, where we can be with him in heaven one day after we die. Thank you so much for attending the program today. Amen. Dwayne, we're in an exciting study. And this is found in Daniel chapter 5. Now, we introduced this particular study a couple of programs ago by focusing in on the fact that there's going to be a day of judgment. Right. 
that's going to be for everybody, for all of mankind, for this world. And on that day, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to be the judge, and through him, God is going to call every one of us to account for how we will have lived our lives in this world. And that'll go back to all the way to the very beginning of time, won't it? It will, Gary. It will cover the present, and it will cover all future time until that day. God is the God of all time, Gary. He is eternal. And everybody who will have lived up until that point on this earth will be there at that final day of judgment. That's right. Giving account for how they've lived their lives in this world. That day is appointed, isn't it? It is. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. We need to get ready for that day, and the only effective means by which we can do that is we've got to learn God's Word. We have to study it. We have to study it. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. So we need to know what we're supposed to believe. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we see that God, His desire is for everybody to repent. But He's not going to make us repent. That's right. He's not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. But He leaves the choice to us. It's our choice. But again, He tells us, the day of the Lord, and that's a reference to that final day of judgment that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 and Acts 17 verses 30 and 31 and Hebrews 9 and verse 27, the day of the Lord will come. That's right. Will come. And on that day, we will all give account. Well, that sets the stage for what we began to look at in some detail in Daniel chapter 5 in our last program. We talked about Belshazzar. He was king or a co-regent or co-ruler with his father, Nabonidus. And he was a successor, probably a grandson somewhere down the line from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at the time that God used Babylon to conquer the southern part of the nation of Israel that had come to be referred to as Judah. He raised up Babylon to conquer Judah because he wanted to use them as a tool of judgment upon his people, those two tribes of Israel, Judah. South Israel, we might call it, refer to it as also. They had become extremely unfaithful and ungodly and wicked they were worshiping idols on an ongoing basis, and God finally used Babylon, a foreign nation, an idol-worshiping nation, to bring judgment as a tool of judgment upon Israel. So they conquered the land, and they removed the survivors from that land and forced them to live in foreign places under the under the, uh, uh, not just supervision, but under the authority of people who did not even believe in God to begin with. Now that's a pretty sorry state of affairs it is. for the people of Judah. 
they saw themselves as God's people, but they were unfaithful to God. Right. And now they're being ruled over and kept in the subjection by people who don't even believe in God. And God is using those people as a tool of judgment on his people. That's right. Well, we flash forward, and here we are at Belshazzar. And again, he's probably a grandson somewhere down the line of Nebuchadnezzar. And in verses 1 through 4, how about reading that again? We looked at that in detail in our last program, but let's just read through that and, and kind of reset the stage. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. We have a big party going on. Belshazzar's throwing this party for a thousand of his lords. This would have been officials of the kingdom. Royalty, we would say. And they drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Now, as we pointed out in our last program, the order of the day for these kinds of feasts would be that they'd have their meal, and then when it says they drank wine in the presence of the thousands, well, that was the next step in the feast. Now what you're seeing is after the meal's finished, it would be common for them to engage in a real drinking party. A drunken feast. That's really what we can understand it as. Verse 2, while he tasted the wine, referring to Belshazzar, and that probably, that particular phrase probably is an indication that he was becoming intoxicated if he was not already there. He was probably already in a state of inebriation at this point. And that likely impaired his judgment as well as his senses and contributed to what he did next. Yes. He ordered that the gold and silver vessels which his probably grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at the time that Jerusalem was conquered and Judah was conquered and the people of Judah were taken into captivity and removed from their land, those gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, the temple of God, they still were in the, in, in the possession of Belshazzar and the co-regent or co-ruler, his father Nebuchadnezzar. So they were still there. Well, he orders that these vessels, and you pointed this out in our last program, Dwayne, these were holy vessels, weren't yes, they? Yes, they were. They were to be used in worship to God. That's right. Well, he called for them to be brought in, and they would be used in this drinking party. Now, that was not only an insult to the people of Judah who lived in the land, but it was an insult to God, an extreme insult to God. As they would drink to their idols. 
and they were toasting their idols, weren't with they? With these sacred vessels. With these, and idols are nothing. God continually warned his people not to worship idols. But here they were toasting, in, in essence, yes. these idols with vessels that were supposed to be holy and reserved in worship before the only true God. Amen. How God must have been insulted by that. Yes. This would have been something that should have been unthinkable, and this was a practice that was not normal to a conquering nation against a conquered people. They had more respect commonly for the conquered people than to do something this despicable. Yes. And that's let alone to think about, again, how despicable this must have been before God, how repulsive it must have been. Let's read a little further. How about reading verses 5 through 9? In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the kingdom of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried out or cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His consonants was changed, and his lords were astonished. As we closed our last program, I said that this is going to get even more graphic. Yes. And, you know, I love verbal imagery in, in <laughs> literature. I just love it. You know, when you're reading something and the description is given, giving you some perspective, and you can just see it in your mind's eye yeah, as you're reading that it. that hand on the wall. Yes. Talk about creepy. <laughs> yes. So here we are in your mind's eye. All of a sudden, this text comes alive in vivid technicolor. <laughs> and as you say, now, Belshazzar's done a terrible thing. He's ordered the vessels, the holy vessels from the temple of God to be brought in and used in a drunken party and toasting idols, which are nothing, toasting them with vessels that were supposed to be held in reverence before God. Right. And as that's going on, see, we can't hide from God, can we, Dwayne? No, we cannot. There's no corner so dark but that God does not see what's going on. There's no place so remote but that God is not there watching. And we might try to do some things we think we're hiding from everybody around us. But God always sees, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And when God holds us accountable, it's severe regret 
time if we have not been faithful to his word. Amen. You are exactly right. Nothing is hidden from God. All of a sudden, as the saying goes, out of thin air appears a hand. Wow. Scary. <laughs> it is. Now, I can imagine some of those people who were intoxicated at that time, what their reaction must have been like as they saw in their state of inebriation a hand appear out of thin air and start writing a message on the wall. Well, we're given a description of how it affected King Belshazzar. Sure. And these, these were uh, superstitious people because they believed in all these gods made with hands and gave them some kind of importance, some kind of life. And when they saw this, oh boy. Yes, yes. And the king was terribly frightened by that hand appearing and writing a message in the white plaster wall. Now, the text tells us that his countenance changed. Yes. I can believe that. He wasn't laughing anymore. <laughs> he wasn't. Yeah. Can you just imagine he got real serious real fast, didn't he? Yeah. And can you just imagine all the blood draining from his face? In his, other words, turning white as a sheet? His inebriation was put on hold. Yeah. <laughs> his thoughts troubled him. I imagine they did trouble him. Probably a whole lot of thoughts were racing through his mind right about that time. And notice it says, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Yes. He probably had a hard time standing up. Mm -hmm. In fact, he might not have been able to stand up. He probably had to sit down if he did not fall down in the process. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't just from being intoxicated. That was because he was, if we might use the expression descriptively, scared to death at yes. this point. Oh, boy. Can you imagine now? His knees are knocking together. He's having a hard time with having the strength to stand up. His joints of his hips were loosened. And he cried aloud to bring in the, astro the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. These were supposed to be the wise men mm -hmm. in the kingdom. And he spoke. And now there's alarm in what he's saying now. And in the, the charge that he's given, the king spoke saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. That's high up there. That is. Well, Nabonidus and himself, Belshazzar, they were the top two rulers. Mm -hmm. So whoever could give the interpretation of this, that, they would, that person would become the third ruler in the kingdom. Yes, indeed. Well, maybe he's still speaking somewhat out of his <laughs> intoxicated state. But he is extremely alarmed. He is really serious. He is. He wants to know what this is all about. 
This hand appears out of thin air, starts writing a message on the wall, and it doesn't go away. Now, you could imagine somebody who's drunk, and they're feeling the effects in an extreme, an extreme state of, of intoxication, and they start seeing things. Well, maybe they're rubbing their eyes, maybe they're closing their eyes, shaking their head, and sometimes some of that stuff might disappear. Right. Well, you can imagine maybe Belshazzar trying to do some of those things, go through some, use some of those tactics, but the hand is still there. The it, writing is still there. It was not the wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was not the wine. It was from God. And so he wants to know, what is this all about? And he's calling in the wise men, trying to get an interpretation here. Mm-hmm. So all the king's wise men came. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Interesting. This is truly a message from God. And verse 9 says, King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. All 1,000 of them. <laughs> yes. They were perplexed. What in the world is this? And we're not talking about some bad dream that they're going to wake up from the next morning. This is real. This is real. Boy, you know, talk about bringing a party to a halt, Dwayne. <laughs> yeah, God crashed that party. Oh, my. Did he ever. All of a sudden, the, 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 the complexion of that gathering was extremely and radically changed. And there were a whole lot of people who we might say were sobering up real fast. I'm sure they all went home after that. In fact, could you imagine a bunch of them kind of scattering for the doors? Yeah. Right then. <laughs> Tripping over each other and everything. Well, we're going to go on. None of those wise men of Babylon, those worshipers of idols, could read the writing or give the interpretation of what it meant. But there would be someone who could. He would be a man of God. And we've been having fun with this, but it's a serious story of God's holding us accountable. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Now... Be sure to tune in next time because we're going to get into the interpretation. And it's an interpretation, as Duane just pointed out, that in a broad sense applies to every one of us. Be sure to be with us in our next program. Until then, contact us. We'll tell you how in just a moment. Ask for that free Bible study that we always offer. We'll send it to you. We'll take care of the postage. And you can learn how you need, how you can prepare yourself so that you'll never find yourself in the kind of position that Belshazzar found himself in when the handwriting was on the wall. Please contact us right away.